Welcome, everybody, to Ruby Rogues. I'm John Epperson, and today on our panel, we have Luke Stutters. Hello. And Valentino Stoll. Hey there. And today, for a special guest, we have Lado Singel. Did I pronounce that correctly, or did I butcher it pretty bad? Yeah, Lado Singel. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty good. Sweet. Well, Vlado, would you would you start off just by telling us a little bit about yourself, how you maybe got into Ruby, and then afterwards we can we can introduce the topic. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com/podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, DevChat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that. I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, sure. Yeah, hello, everybody. I was always uh, interested in, during my childhood, how stuff works, uh, how, uh, what makes car go, how do these computers know everything, all this stuff. And uh, when I was like 12, I got the first computer. It was uh, Intel 386 machine with a turbo button, you know. It could go to 20 or 40 hertz and... Uh, I think it had, yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. And I think it had like four megabytes of RAM. And uh, when it arrived, it was 1992, something like that. And nobody didn't know what to do with it. So it was just standing there and I saw the monitor and I was thinking, oh, everything is there. What is this box next to it? You know, it was, it was standing for a few months and you couldn't buy any books, magazines in Croatia during that time. So. And luckily, we found one friend that had a computer and he came and he installed some games and uh, introduced me to those commands. And, and I started hacking that a bit, trying uh, just typing random commands and guessing stuff because I didn't have any literature or anything. And yeah, I, I really got interesting. And then I was picking up basically books from family, friends and whatever I could find about computers and stuff and was learning uh, about it. And like, yeah, I got pretty good in it. And when there was a time to start uh, studying or to go to college, I was between going to mechanical engineering or computer science. And I said like, ah, I will handle this myself. Let's study mechanical engineering. And in the end, I graduated on, on railway vehicles, which means maybe that rails was my destiny, actually. In the end, right. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the right, you were on the right track. Yeah, yeah, right. And later I went to faculty of economics to study quality management because I saw myself like in some high management and position or something like that. But they didn't uh, went like that. Basically, <laughs> while, I while I was on college, I worked uh, part-time and I got a job at uh, Biggest Creation newspaper and they were starting like uh, 
uh, building the web presence, putting the articles online and uh, doing all the stuff. And I got the job to enter the cinema shows and events in the some really bad CMS stuff. And it was relatively boring, but there were things like that no one could do. Like they, they didn't know what to do with XML, so I figured it out. And I got interested in, in all this stuff. And uh, I, was prog- I was programming a bit during the time, like some programs in Fortran or Java, simple ones for basketball statistics or, or things like that. And very quickly, I started building websites for family and friends and all this stuff and used PHP most of the time. And in the end, I got a job in mechanical engineering, but I was still programming and I found out about the Ruby and Rails in, in .NET magazine that I was buying in, in Zagreb, in, in capital town. Nice. And it was like, oh, this is great. This really looks good. And the company I worked with, we, we had like two months of, of vacation or uh, leave during the summer. We didn't work during the summer. And I started doing online jobs uh, during the summer in Ruby. And Ruby was so, so awesome that I just said, oh, this is something that I would like to do for the living. So, yeah. I just ditched my management career and, and started uh, starting enjoying Ruby and Rails since then, I think. Nice, nice. So one of the things that we were planning to talk about today is uh, your gem uh, that you made, Active Record CTE. How did how did that come about? Like, what, what inspired you to do that? Uh, yeah, basically, I, I currently work for a German company called BetterDoc, which helps patients find the, the right doctor for their problems. And uh, one of the... The tools that helps us with that is to search for a for best clinic for a specific diagnosis or for the operation and and stuff. And each of these stuff has its own code, and it's millions and millions of these codes. And it's like uh, on a yearly basis, each clinic needs to report all the data, and it's millions and millions of of, of data each year. And uh, it was pretty pretty hard to get all of this. Uh, data quickly to the researchers in an efficient way. And I was uh, researching the, the Postgres, what capabilities it has to, to make this performant and stuff. And I came to common table expressions. And uh, it, was, it was great because it, uh, it helps you to get the data in a logical way. So step by step, you first check all the all the medical topics and data that are relevant for the, that code or part of that code. Then you can uh, calculate some statistics in it. We, we calculate some percentiles. Is it in this range? Is it in this range? And stuff. And uh, in the end, you need to say in this ge- geographical area and stuff like that. And all of that, we had like 100 lines of, of SQL, uh, raw SQL to, to have it. And I wanted to write that into Rails somehow. And the first try was was with the raw SQL, because Active Record didn't support the common table expression natively. And uh, we just put everything, put it everything into raw SQL. But it was uh, it was a bad because you needed uh, to to count on the same queries. You needed to do pagination, uh, geolocation, and it was very very hard to to maintain. And I started looking for alternatives, and I I saw the the arrow stuff. Actually, I don't know the right pronunciation. I just call it arrow. That yeah. is right. And and it was it was a big improvement because you could programmatically build all these queries and and share them between uh, different methods and stuff. 
But the one thing that we still missed is you, you couldn't change them easily and you couldn't uh, do calculations or aggregation easily on them with standard realist methods. And uh, one more very important thing for us is we needed to cache the result when you, when you get it once. So when you search for one code or one part of the code, we want to cache that. And with the active record relation, that works out of the box. I was actually, we were eager to, to work with active record relations. And I, I found that the Postgres text, or, or I don't know, the, I think it's the Postgres test gem that had a support for the common table expressions integrated. And I wanted to use it, but it didn't work with the Rails 6. So in the end, I did what I think, John, you also did. You, you wrote the... The monkey page to to put it all all together and to work with your application basically. Yep, something like that. And that you get the relations. Yeah, I have um, a little I have a little folder with like everybody has like that little extensions folder, and I feel like hash is like a commonly added one. I think I have like four apps where there's like error things that are edited, and CTEs are totally one of the things that's in there for me because I needed CTEs for multiple applications. So yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And basically, what triggered the, the build of the gem is that I didn't like that I needed to patch all these methods and some, some stuff were hard to, to, to patch. So I opened the PR to, to merge, to add the common table expression support to Rails. And it got some traction, but it never got merged. It got like stale mark from the Rails bot a few times. And every time someone comments, oh, can we, can we somehow merge this? Can this be revisited? But it never got uh, merged. Actually, a few days ago, it got to stale state and someone commented again and, and wanted to, to merge it. Yeah, and, and I think the main reason, at least from the feedback of the Rails core, is that they think it's a two-level, two-low-level API and they would like to build something more, was the right word, something more jeered, like uh, with more functionality. Because with common table expression, you have one part where you build a common table expression and then you need to use it. And you either need to uh, modify the from or join or, or whatever, or you do multiple steps. So they, they would like to see some API that bundles all this together in, into some functionality, I think. Yeah, anytime I see something with, you know, a rel related features that are, are needed to be used in Rails, it, it kind of gets a bad rap <laughs> of feedback from the core team. But I will, dude, so I was looking at this gem it, and kind of in reply to you, Valentino, right? Like I was looking at this gem and I was like, this is the API that I want, right? It literally, I create my Rails query that like builds, you know, and you can, I mean, okay, so the thing about CTs, right, is you can kind of think like they're subqueries or temporary tables. They're just like way more performant um, and it's super like awesome. Or unlike a temp table, right? Like this one's just going to live for this query, right? It's not a view. It's not sticking around, taking up RAM. There's there's certain there's pros and cons to it, right? But when you do decide you want a CTE, right, you're just like, well, I want to build this query, and I just want it to be available to me as like in your example, posts with comments, right? Cool. So your yeah. API is literally, uh, I want to grab a bunch of posts with posts with comments colon. Here's my query, and dude, that's whatever. It's way better than anything that I wrote. I just monkey patch stuff in and janked it up but this is clean so if we could circle back to that john we already have database views let's just clear up kind of what common table expressions are and how they differ from some of the other alternatives out there 
uh, like database views uh, as an example. Yeah. So, our, uh, oh, yeah. Basically, I, I was thinking about the database views initially, but I quickly realized that it will not work in our case because our data is totally dynamic. So depending on the search query, you could type three characters or five or, or whatever. And uh, it needs to be it needs to be evaluated in the right time. When you when you are typing the query, you need to have your your dynamic data. You cannot. I mean, we we could put some of the the stuff in the in the database view, but we need to to do multiple aggregations later on. We need to, and we have a lot of conditions depending on on the some filters that you select when you are searching. So it's it's our database is pretty good. Uh, indexed and, and optimized so database view wouldn't help much there because you have millions of possibilities of uh, code combinations that you just cannot denormalize into some view or, or something like that yeah one of the one of the things about like views right is if you have like queries that are hitting like the exact same set of data sort of right like if you could if you could build one view and that will work for all your queries then then you can get a lot of value out of like building a materialized view right yeah. because postgres will handle managing it putting it together you know and keeping it up to date for you right that's super awesome but when you kind of get into the world of like ad hoc querying right where you're just like the user is dictating like which things they're going to join and you know all this kind of stuff then yeah. you're then you're take then you have to build a whole bunch of different materialized views which could work but you can also get uh, but then now you're you're looking at if your RAM can't hold all of those, right? Then they aren't nearly as performant. So doing something like a CTE, it, it just ends up working better in some cases, and in a lot of cases for for us. Like, so it's been a few years since I've like had to care about this or whatever. So I'm a little bit rusty, but but more or less like <laughs> you you can get better performance from using a CTE more or less in the ad hoc space. That's that's where I've encountered mm-hmm. it before. There could be like other scenarios or whatever as well. In my experience, it's important to to make this first table really small. So you have like 100 million records and the first query just shrinks it to 100,000. And then you are good to go. You, you're pretty safe later on and everything goes great. Yep. There's some, so there's one other thing that I mentioned, which are subqueries, right? So one of the major advantages that CTEs have over subqueries is their ability to use indexes? You you don't get indexes on your CTE. At least I don't think so yet. I'm really I think paying attention, but you get to use all the underlying indexes on the tables underneath, which is super awesome. And if you kind of follow what Vlado said, right? Like if you're using that CTE not just to join things together, but also to like kind of filter things, like in an initial filtering, you can get the advantage of you're just not going to have to, you know you're not going to have to search through a gigantic, yeah. you know, temp table or something. And the good thing is once you shrink this table or filter it or reduce it, you can use it multiple times in your queries. So you can you can get related data, you can do some count, aggregate on it and everything just works perfectly. Like you have standard table. Yeah, so like Yeah, that was one of the really cool things I thought about it kind of is just like the recursive search on the table where you could just keep aggregating down uh, and yeah. whittling away. It's really neat. Or if you use the, so if you're comparing it to subquery specifically, right? So if you use the CTE like four or five times in your in different blocks of your query, right? Where you don't have to re, re, remake your code, right? For your, 
your subselect, right? So if you're if you're uh, if you find yourself repeating code or whatever, this it's like an easy extract, obvious like nicety of a CTE. I'm sorry, a CTE is a nice yeah. obvious abstraction if you're like repeating a subquery or whatever. Yeah. Regarding the recursive uh, commentable expressions, I actually didn't use them, didn't have a need. But uh, on the PR, someone connected, uh, commented about the recursive queries. And then I, I was reading about it, and it's really, really amazing, like what you can do today with, with your database. Crazy stuff. So just to, I, I mean, for confirmation then, so it supports recursive things then? Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. Basically, the, the, gem, the gem more or less uh, delegates stuff to the width method of the RL. Okay, yeah, so it just... And it, it, yeah, and it follows the RL uh, API, so maybe it's not the, the best one, but basically if you put uh, the first argument as a recursive symbol, it will do recursive query. And I even realized that in SQL Lite, it automatically recognizes the recursive query and does the recursive one even if you don't paste the recursive key. Why why do Sorry Luke, you want to say why, something? Why? Why? That's what I want to know. Why? Why would you do a recursive query? <laughs> Actually I don't know. I, I never came to to the right. Right. for it. But right. the examples Everyone are pretty... talks about them. No one I've never seen one. I've never seen <laughs> one in the wild. I want to know who's doing these recursive queries. <laughs> I don't actually know of Maybe a good use case. I um, I'm looking, just doing a quick Google to see if I can like find, get a sense of it. But I, I think that I that know. maybe the good good example could be that you you can have like a tree structure where you have like a comment and then comment can have a comment on it. That would be like a good good use case. And then you build like a commentable expression that could be called treed, and then you get the the treed, you know. Something like that, maybe. But as I said, I never used it in, in practice or tried something similar. I was talking to a CTO earlier last week who worked previously with the NHS, which is Britain's version of socialized medicine for all you American viewers. Uh, the National Health Service provides free health care to all British people for zero cost but perhaps quite long wait times and potentially much lower survival rates than you get in the continental United States. But we don't like to talk about that. It's free. It's free. So why complain? The NHS had a contract with a third party to do with, I think he was saying, emails. And the idea was that if the email was late, they wouldn't get money. So to keep track of this, they kept a database that contained the delivery time of every single email sent by every single person in the largest employer in the UK, which is the NHS. It's the, I think it's the biggest organization in the United Kingdom. If you imagine all of America's hospitals and doctors and uh, dentists and everything else were combined into one organization, and you were tracking performance numbers for every email, that was the scale of database he was working on. And he had a totally different perspective on how to treat databases and queries to anything I'd seen on a Rails platform, because every single query he did would just grind to a complete halt. So it became a kind of um, almost like a kind of survival, survival mentality 
anything with 20 million records in it to him was tiny. <laughs> he didn't have, he just didn't have a table with, with less than, you know, nine digits in it. And I find it was, I think it's interesting, uh, when you were talking about the, the size of things you're working on that really guides these changes to active record and the, the need to kind of delve down and add features and to start really getting close to the database. Did you listen to DHH's talk a few years ago on the philosophy behind active record and how, why he doesn't like these, this specific database knowledge? He, um, it's fascinating to me because I'm kind of getting more into databases. I think like John, you know, I find myself getting closer to the metal. I want to know more about these kind of recursive queries, materialized views, uh, CTEs, because I want the performance. You know, I want things to be fast. I want things to be readable. And one of the things I really like about the active record CTE is you can change the language of your queries to be more readable because you're structuring the query. So you're saying, okay, we've got loads of data. We're going to start by cutting out everything except type A things in the database. Is that correct? You could do it that way, yeah. Yeah, so you've got, you've got your with, you're going to say with things that are type A, you know, just get rid of everything else. And then with things that have, I don't know, customer information attached, and then you kind of build your, you, you're making your own Legos. That's how I, I, that's how I kind of think about the CTEs. You're you're making your own Legos that then do the query. And my understanding is the one the way the database backends make these queries faster is that you've provided more structured information up front. So then the database engine can say, you know what, you know, we know what's coming. We're going to cache that whole part of a query, and then it runs a lot faster. But I don't know if that's your motivation for using these things is it purely speed or are you looking for more uh, kind of improved language in your code well i wouldn't say that that was my uh, initial idea or interest maybe i could agree with dhh maybe what he was saying is like i don't want to care about the database underneath until i really need something to be optimized or or really i just want to write simple ruby code and 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 that everything works and in the moment where i have problems I will deal with them on the database level. I think that's maybe the same approach we took. We had a problem. We couldn't use key value store. Whatever didn't work for us, we needed to rely on database. And then we sat down and say, okay, what what does the Postgres offer to us? And, and what is the best thing to use in our case? I think that's a really good point, right? So, because I come from the same perspective, right? So kind of, so I can definitely hear what you're saying, Luke, right? Like, at some point, you're uh, so in my case. So I'll talk about my case, right? So in my case, we we literally had something. I I don't know. It was it was over twenty joins going on, right? At this particular thing, and there were tables included in those joins that had tens of millions of records, right? So, and then you know at the end of our query, we were doing we were doing like group buys and halvings and things like that, right? And then once we'd done a bunch of work like that, then we wanted to merge that stuff right with other things right so so the reason for writing a cte was twofold for us i mean we had a 200 line something long query right it was a lot that was in text or whatever and it was a lot to read and i was like this is ridiculous so i like i refactored the query it, we were having trouble with it i refactored it so that it used a few ctes so that i could understand what was going on 
right? And then after I got the query going, then I wanted to convert it to Rails, right? Because I didn't want to manage it in query form anymore, right? So we were, I mean, we were building like this really big report that did a lot of stuff. I mean, it was, I was working for a manufacturing company. So they were trying to understand like in this particular period of time, are we making profit on these widgets, right? And so we had to grab like, okay, well, here are my inputs and they cost me all this stuff, right? And that was a collection of tables. Here are my outputs. I sold them for this much stuff. That's a collection of tables, right? So I'm like grabbing all of this stuff from all over the place, right? To build this ginormous report. So like for us, like that was that was the main motivation for us. It got faster because the previous query took 30 minutes to run. And, and my query, literally, when it was done, it literally queried hundreds of millions of rows. And it came back with like less than two seconds. I don't remember exactly what it was or whatever. It was a huge speed up for us, right? So, yeah, I guess all I'm trying to say is like, I don't, you can filter in a CTE, but if you don't need to like go through like a bunch of joins and a bunch of group buys and things like that. You might as well just put your filtering in your where clause, right? You're going to get more benefits from indexes and things like that if you do that. That's what I would suggest. But oh, one last thing to tie it all together. Sorry. At the end of the day, I wrote this big query, right? But I didn't want to manage the query as text, right? I wanted to then move it back to active record, right? So one of the reasons that I got into Errol was because of this one huge freaking ginormous query. In fact, I learned a lot about databases doing this stuff, right? Uh, trying to fix this one query. So like, I don't know, I, I didn't need to learn about databases till I had a problem that, yeah, that really grinded my gears and then I had to learn stuff. Yeah, I think databases are pretty, pretty interesting, but I just never had time to to really like dedicate 100% and learn all the stuff that you could you could use. So I was just, when the need is there, I was researching the options. So. Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. Yep. One of the difficulties with Errol, like I I, I want to say it was the four to five upgrade of Rails. I'm sorry, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, uh, but I had some trouble like converting my queries, right? Because the way that I could just inject Errol into a where clause kind of shifted slightly. And I had like unions and, and things going on in some places. So I remember... I remember having that difficulty and that just like confirmed for me that I didn't want to keep code as error. Like I wanted to always have a wrapper around it of some kind because otherwise every time I do an upgrade, I'm at risk. Not not necessarily that it's going to happen, but I'm at least at risk of having to go through all my queries and like figure out how to get them all this error stuff to work again with active records. So I just didn't like that. I think it's actually just gotten better over the years, so it doesn't matter, but. Yeah, I mean, building off of that, John, too, 
Vlado, did you run into any issues kind of while you were diving into all of the active record relations stuff that kind of maybe uh, you wish was a little, was a little better in Rails or maybe just what took a little while to get used to as far as syntax or what's available? Well, well, I must say, Errol was pretty confusing at the beginning and pretty hard to to write it down because the biggest problem was me for me was that it was not documented like properly or something. So more or less, I would just Google how to do this with Errol. And as John said, it often changes the way you do something. I mean, often I found some outdated articles, but in the end, I I just took a bit of look uh, into Arrow, and w- once you get the ba- the basic idea how it works, so Active Record sends the command to Arrow, Arrow builds the query, gives it back to Active Record, and Active Record sends it to database. So first thing I realized, okay, Arrow is here just to produce the strings as- with the SQL, right? And that was the, the first thing. And then already it was a bit clearer, like, okay, I'm just building these nodes and I will get some SQL. It doesn't even have to be correct one in the end. And uh, somehow then everything set, set in place. But I quickly realized that I want to move from writing Arial in my applications. And that's why I wrote the, my own implementation in the end of the gem. And regarding the gem, I didn't have much compatibility problems because more or less it just delegates to the width method of Arial. Which is which didn't change that much, but I had few few problems with the pull request to Rails. I think it's I don't know a few years old, and it's still not merged, it's still open. And a uh, few times, one interesting thing I was listening to to podcast, uh, so the Ruby Rogues podcast with Eric Case, and he was he was talking uh, talking about Arial also, and uh, he's using it uh, extensively. And in the end, after a few days after that, I realized that uh, I got pinged uh, on the PR on the Rails side, and I saw that it doesn't work anymore. And then I, I saw someone change the error underneath, and it didn't work anymore. And then I was checking the commits and everything, and I said, Eric, hey, that looks familiar. That sounds familiar. Who the, who the hell is that? And then I realized, oh, I, I, I listened to, to the podcast with him like three days ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Errol is definitely, I mean, in the Rails team does say, right, like that Errol is yeah. what internal API and therefore, you know, can't rely on it staying the same. We do not guarantee anything. Yeah. Really. But, but in mean, general, I didn't is, have much problems in compatibility issues. All this talk about, you know, Arial, I mean, everybody uses it eventually. Once you reach the limits of, you know, that facade that Rails gives you to, to access the database, you find more complicated needs. And the recommended approach is to, well, to just write a text query <laughs> and then tell Rails to use that query, you know, as raw, you know, build this raw query and execute it. And that's, that's kind of more preferential to a, an existing internal API that's available. You know, maybe there is some, there's definitely a demand there, I would say, to introduce a lot of the, some of the internal workings to make make it easier to interface with more complicated database stuff. I agree. Uh, is Arel the right API choice? I don't know. I mean, as you said, it's it's complicated to get up mm-hmm. to speed with it. I've definitely had experience of a similar issue, but databases also are complicated. Yeah. Uh, so I don't really know a good 
you said that um, you were using the raw SQL and, and, and stuff like that. But I think that's actually not that bad idea to use it. If you have like a single report or something with a really complex SQL, I think it's perfectly fine if you don't need to share it everywhere. And uh, we had a similar, we had like one report that literally touched every table in, in our database and, and uh, it was using active record. And in the end, it took like, few hours to generate that report and we got we run into into memory out of memory issues and we needed to rewrite that report and it was before this uh, usage of of uh, common table expressions and rl and, and the gem and in the end what we did we actually switched the reporting to sql that part so the sql gem yeah you've gem got exactly arts. where i wanted to go I was going to say, aren't we ignoring <laughs> the elephant in the room here? Aren't we? I, I know. Yeah. I have. I have to know, uh, Blado, that you gave a talk, which is the slides are available online, where you organizing complex SQL you, queries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very. Uh, I've been through the slides. I ha- I enjoyed them, and I noticed one of the slides makes the bold claim: the bold claim that SQL is better <laughs> than Active Record. Depending for what. <laughs> In, in what ways? I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, well, I think for for just for stuff like reporting or just doing the generating the like DSL for for building queries, I think that SQL is better. But Active Record is much more, and I really like Active Record. I like how easy it you to use it in forms and and all this stuff. I really enjoy it. But for pure uh, database tasks, I think SQL is a, is a better choice. It's really, I don't know how the, how Jeremy Evans does all this stuff, but it's, it's super optimized. It supports everything. Everything is supported. API is, is, I would say great. So I really like it. And we were thinking about using SQL here also in, in, uh, where we use the common table expressions and, and the, the gem. And in the end, we gave up because this is the other application. We didn't want to introduce the new dependency and, and, and stuff. And uh, we said, okay, Errol is something similar. Let's use Errol. And then we get to the point where we wrote the gem. But I would say SQL is somewhere between the, the active record and Errol. It's, it's hard to explain. Yeah, no, I, I actually <laughs> agree with that statement, right? And we, uh, in the past, yeah. like I've made the same exact decision that you did, right? Which was that... Basically, it's like, I don't want to really introduce SQL for a couple of reasons. One, extra dependency. Two, uh, I didn't, like, we didn't want to introduce, like, a tool that, it came from a place, right, where I had this app that had, like, five different, you know, CSV things to generate CSV files, right? And it was, it was such a nightmare, right? So, like, we were like, well, we don't want to have SQL here because then, like, developers might you know, try and do SQL instead of active record. <laughs> we, we don't want to have that kind of thing going on. So there were like a few things, but yeah, more or less, like we just didn't want, it wasn't because SQL wasn't good or couldn't do the job. We actually like thought that SQL was a good choice. We just didn't want to have that extra tool laying around where we were only using 10% of it just for this one particular case. So yeah, I mean, we've gone Errol multiple times. I've been part of that decision repeatedly. And so I, I'll own it, but yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm good. I wanted to ask. I'm a vanilla Rails guy in general. So I think, uh, I don't use RSpec. Uh, I stick to active records. So I just like what comes out of the box. It's, 
it works and it's a simple thing. So I stick to that and, and I really like it. So, yeah, I also like SQL, but I wouldn't, as you said, introduce it into the application for no reason, for no strong reason, without a strong reason. Yeah. So, so one thing that we've kind of been uh, talking around and I kind of wanted to like directly ask. And and I don't know I don't know if we'll, if we're able to put this together or not or if you have the right answer at the, at your fingertips but like what would you say like when would you reach for Errol when would you reach for just keeping it as a string like what would be I guess like when would you choose to use one over the other right and like when would you when would you break from Active Record in the first place in your in your I guess thing. Like just to try and come up, with, like I feel like we've talked about a little, a lot of these little pieces, but like if we could put it together, maybe the first question is, when when would you break from Active Record, right, and and consider picking something else? And maybe that was the easiest one to answer. And then like maybe if you had some thoughts on like when you would swap out for SQL or or bring it in, and then when would you go with Arrow, and when would you go all the way to a string? I think we've said some stuff about each of these. Yeah. In general, I would like to stick with Active Record wherever I can. If you have pagination uh, on your web, or it just works more than okay, and it's super convenient. You have caching, you have lazy loading, uh, you have everything. So you don't have to care about a uh, million of, of things. For example, I was writing Elixir a bit uh, lately, and things there are not that that nice and convenient and stuff. So you you need to do a lot of stuff on your own. And you really see how how great Rails is when you when you try something else. I would say, or it just gives you a lot of stuff for free. I would say, I mean, nothing is free, but <laughs> the first moment where where so if I need object relation in Mapper, I would go with the Active Record. But if I need to pull a lot of data and put it in some database CSV or something, I wouldn't use Active Record because it just uses a lot of memory. And yeah, we tried everything, uh, forcing it not to keep internal cache and all this stuff. I don't remember everything, but it, it just always uses a lot of memory. But if you always show 20 or 50 or something on the page, it's perfectly fine. But if you want to generate some documents, CSV, whatever table, I would go with SQL or Arial or raw SQL, whatever in that case. Okay. And I guess maybe when would you, when would you pick Arial or when would you pick like, maybe just string. So I'm kind of thinking case, it, the thing that I'm thinking about in my case, right, is that gigantic report that I was talking about, right? Well, there were a lot of parameters that went into it. And, you know, sometimes they would have a date and sometimes they wanted to see all of time, right? So like chunks of the query would be gone, right? So we were building, you would build the query based off the parameter set, right? So it wasn't, string interpolation was possible, but pretty, pretty difficult, right? So yeah, we, we really, I get you know, we ended up picking Errol for that reason. I was just kind of thinking, like, maybe is that, like, how, how would you, like, decide between Errol or just string interpolation, more or less? Yeah. I think if, if, if I would have, like, a big query, big report or something, where you just pass, I don't know, the date from and to, I would maybe stick with the, with the string. But as soon as there are conditions or logic or something, I would definitely go to, to Errol. Or SQL, whatever. Probably if you are in some Rails application or you have active record already, you could probably use Arrow. You don't need additional dependency. But if you are not, maybe the SQL is is a good choice. Nice. Yeah. I uh that feels pretty good to me. 
Yeah, but it's always a matter of preference. And yeah, the choice is, is always hard, I would say. Yeah, I I would say, okay, so one huge downside, we've talked a lot about Errol, and as somebody who's done Errol on multiple applications, I mean, I will definitely say that one of the big downsides, of Errol, besides the fact that there is that change that you have to deal with, you know, when you're upgrading and things like that, the vast majority of Rails developers are, are just put off by it and uh, just really struggle to... I mean, if you if you put a developer in front of somebody and you're like, hey, go fix this, right? Like, they'll usually fix it. But I feel like a lot of Rails developers are are just uncomfortable and just don't like it. And and so that, that can cause some just unneeded friction. In the past, I've wrapped stuff that's in Errol. And I, I remember a talk, I want to say, in the last year or two, where somebody actually created like a really good pattern for wrapping and and I haven't had another application that uses Arrow, but like my plan is to try and go find that or whatever. So I know I know that people are working with Arrow and trying to deal with you know the fact that like it kind of sucks to work with or whatever, right? But yeah, I, I think I would always recommend wrapping yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> somehow. Yeah, one thing that in my case, I uh, the, in BetterDoc we have like uh, Innovation Friday where you are free to do whatever you want. You can read something, you can watch something, you can uh, investigate anything. You can do. You can even do something uh, related to BetterDoc if you really don't like some part of the code and you want to change it, refactor, whatever you want. And this jam and most of what we are talking about now, so researching the Postgres, researching the error happened on these Fridays. So if I didn't have that, I don't know if I will. I I will have time to to dig really deep into this stuff. And yeah, I'm a father. I have three kids. It's hard to find time to do that in your in your own time these days. So I'm going to reveal one of my secret development management tricks. And this is a way you can get your development team to implement any feature or fix any bug. And this is how you do it. This is how you do it, right? Secret. I'll just share it with you. You give them a choice between either fixing the bug or implementing the feature or documenting it. So you can say you can either fix it or <laughs> document it. And trust me, they will fix it every single time. <laughs> <laughs> there is that rare breed of developer that, that likes to uh, write documentation and kind of actually need more of this, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I'm not great at that, I must I, admit. I also fall into the category of people that Luke's trick would, would work on. Yeah, I would rather fix it. <laughs> Don't tell them about it, because as soon as they know what you're doing, as soon as they know the trick, it won't work. Right, so good thing you announced it to everyone that's listening to <laughs> drugs. Right, Who's, whose side am I really on, John? The developers or the managers? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. All right, is there anything else that you... Do we have any other questions or is there anything else you wanted to talk about, about your jam or about Errol or anything sort of related? Huh, not, nothing specific. I got a question about sharp knives. Are you familiar with DHH's post about sharp knives? Five years old. I just looked it up. It's five years since uh, the uh, signal versus noise on sharp knives. Do you... I think I know that. Yeah, I, I think I think you might because I I I think you are a man with an interest in sharp tools. Am I correct? Yes. Yes, you are. and the certainly Active Record CTE is a sharp tool. 
in my mind. This is this is a precision instrument when you're really getting into something. Correct? Has yeah. has have any of your interests in working with tools influenced your software development career in any way? Oof. Well, actually, as I stated in the beginning. Ruby and Rails influenced it a lot because I, I wouldn't be programming if if I didn't find that out. So I know that you like to work with wood specifically. Is that right? Then yeah, yeah. My 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 grandfather was a carpenter, and uh, as a child, I always was building something with the wood. And in the last three or four years, the the interest came back to me, so I started building things from from wood. I, I also enjoy my room is a is a collection of enthusiastic but very bad amateur woodwork dating from the time when I, I started working as a science technician. So I had to build my own lab, refit it. The thing about working with wood, I find, is that it's very easy to add. You can always add, but as soon as you cut something out, as soon as you make a cut or you sawn through something, there's no going back. There's the uh, if you if you if you've cut the thing in the wrong place, that thing is over. You can't just glue it back together. And it's kind of the opposite of software, where you can always go back to a known state. Yeah, th- that is something that always attracted me to software development. When you you study mechanical engineering, if you want to fix something on the car, you know, or change it or, or do anything, you need to invest time. You need to invest material. And if it doesn't work, it's hard to reiterate and, and do stuff. And programming was totally different. You are the, the boss. You try something, it doesn't work. You quickly iterate, you get something else. And yeah, I like that, uh, that thing, that freedom. And if you want, wanted to, to do something in mechanical engineering, you needed resources, you needed time, you need to wait for someone always. And here you just sit at the computer and, and, uh, and do, do what, you, what you like. And the similar thing is, is for me with woodworking as a hobby. Initially, I, I started because I have back problems and I sit too much and, and I wanted to do something with my head and, and standing on my feet. And uh, you're the boss in your workshop. You do what you like. You don't do it for the money. You like what you, what you get and, and you, can, you can reiterate. And even if you cut where you, you shouldn't, it's always a way to, to fix it. Good workers are not the, the, those that don't make mistakes, but the, the, no, those that know how to fix it, I would say. You haven't seen my shelving. <laughs> As at, yeah, we should exchange pictures. Uh, uh, the, the, mm, yeah, but, uh, not in public, DMs only. It's pretty explicit. <laughs> the, uh, sure. there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of exposed joinery, shall we say. I uh, do a bit of tinkering with electronics and cars, and I enjoy the contrast between software, where it is a made-up world, and when you start to work with the kind of real world, and you know it's there in front of you, there is nothing else, there's no kind of hidden things, what you have is what is there. But I think it's interesting that a lot of software people, a lot of developers, have these two kind of seemingly conflicting interests one they're working in a world where you can just undo everything and everything is abstract and made up and apart from some of the maps a kind of you know we've made it up it's not real and then they also work in a field where there are either works or it doesn't and it's either there or it's not and it's completely unequivocal so that fascinates me to find i think people need both they need both things in their lives 
My mother always told me when, when I was working on computer, that she was always, you need to find a real job. You just don't do anything. It's easy to just type <laughs> into the computer. You need to, to find a real job. <laughs> yeah, my mother did the same thing. And now I say to her, I say to her, I could have been Mark Zuckerberg if it wasn't for bad parenting. If my, if my parents had <laughs> let me go on that computer all day, every day, I would have turned out to be much, much more successful. And that, that's, that's the Ruby Rogues parenting lesson this week. Don't restrict any kind of access to computers or your, your children will never win the computing lottery. <laughs> you could say the same of, of gaming too, right? Seen some of these salaries with the uh, Twitch League, <laughs> and uh, or not salaries, but earnings from some of these gamers. That's kind of incredible. Yeah, and and I have three kids, and it's very hard to get them off the laptops and <laughs> monitors and and games. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, they can hardly think of anything else except games. It's tough. It's tough because you know your story at the very beginning was. Well, I got interested in this computer and my friends gave me some mm. games to play. And that's how, you know, you entered this world. Mm. But now we have all these <laughs> games and we're like, huh, should we really be letting our kids play games 24 <laughs> seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you know what? I see myself in them. <laughs> you know what, John, in like 30 years time, then the biggest there'll be some kind of like a ready player one game and your children will say, oh, you'd let us play more games and we would have been kind of rich and famous. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the, or like we'll all be living in a virtual world and my kids will be bitter because they'll be left on the outside. Yeah. I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I luckily my oldest is five. So, uh, he's interested, but still like, his time is very limited on the computer right now. So, are you not tempted as a child of you're a child of the 80s like me, right? Are you not tempted to like give them some kind of classic Tandy TRS 80 and just tell them that's a computer? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so technically, I'd be a child of the 90s because I, I was born in 86. Sorry for revealing my age to everybody, but yeah, so uh, I mean, not, I mean, not so much. Like, like, put a sticker on it, put an Apple sticker on it, and like, kind of put an <laughs> iPhone, you could 3D print an iPhone 30. They wouldn't know, would they? I mean, right now we have a, we have this fake phone that my son uses. It's pretty great, but he knows, <laughs> he knows that it's not the same. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We also keep the time, the screen time limited. And we live on a countryside and we try to, we have a dog, we try to walk with them, we have bicycles. So they play football or soccer and basketball and all this stuff. So we really try to, to keep them off the, off the screen. But you can clearly see when, when they are into that after one hour of playing games, if you tell them stop, they're like totally crazy. And, and th there were some cases where we, where we told them, okay, you cannot play games for one month or something like that. I don't know. They were bad at school or something. And they needed like a week to start behaving like the <laughs> real, uh, the, the, the children thinking about the games and, and stuff. Like for the week, they were just thinking, Oh, when we get back, I will play this game. And you know, crazy. Oh man. Lots of decisions. It's hard for us and hard for them. I think. Do we have any, uh, do we have any other questions about 
active record or arrow or <laughs> <laughs> if not if not it might be time to move to pics maybe i can add something so last year i was teaching kids programming uh, here uh, in our small city it was like kids from uh, 14 to 18 years and uh, i was teaching them it was based on web development and i showed them some javascript and some ruby and they had a hard time reading the the javascript but Ruby was like totally natural to them. It's like they could understand everything, you know. It's just like reading the the English book or something. And if you if you have like four x equals one, you know, x plus plus, it's super hard for them to. Yeah, but you are also always surprised how how quickly they can learn something, and and uh, and and sometimes you are you are surprised how. Clearly, they can think and, and think it's outside of the box when you give them some problems. So it's it was also learning uh, lessons for me there. So. That's a nice anecdote to hear, of course, because I often feel similarly. All right. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Should we move to picks then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Luke, do you got any picks for us this week? I do have some picks for you, John. My first pick. Thank you. My first pick is a book called Pitch Perfect. It's another audio book, and it's read by the author. And this is a book about how to how to pitch, not in baseball terms, but how to propose ideas, not just in the sales context, but also internally in a company. So if you want to kind of convince people to move from active record to SQL, for example, it gives real kind of really interesting, tangible advice on how to do it. It's written by a guy who provides communication training to top executives in Silicon Valley, and it ends with a fun chapter about how you can use these communication techniques to how do I how do I phrase this um, improve your family life and personal relationships it's a really interesting book about you know um, techniques you can use to kind of persuade people and to kind of understand people better it's read by the author it's really good pitch perfect by Bill McGowan that's my pick for this week all right awesome Valentina yeah, I got a few picks here. There's a lot of big Ruby news that's happening lately. One is Ruby Together has merged with Ruby Central, two kind of really big, prominent organizations. What do you call, what do you call that, Ruby. John? What do, what do you call that? You know, if you, <laughs> Ruby Together is now Ruby All Together. What's it called? <laughs> <laughs> so Ruby Together, if you're not familiar, they're responsible for maintaining Ruby Gems and getting Bundler merged to Ruby. They do a lot of great, important work for Ruby community. Ruby Central, if you're not familiar, they run the Ruby and Ru Ruby on Rails conferences. 
and they also are heavily involved and do lots of stuff. So it kind of makes sense that now we have one super corporation (laughs) that is responsible for managing and kind of the go-to central place for Ruby. So I'm kind of excited to see what comes out of that. And all the people that are involved are all really great. So looking forward to to that going forward. Another one is YJIT, which is a alternative to the MJIT JIT com- just-in-time compiler has been merged to Ruby. So if you want to start playing with that, it is available via Ruby build. Really exciting to play around with that. The benchmarks on it are kind of incredible. and I- Having a JIT it, that works a little differently from MJIT, I think it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of both of them and kind of what we can learn and advance Ruby performance-wise using them. And then the last one I have here is Penelope Fippen gave this really great talk on how the Ruby VM works and kind of like a speed run. So I would definitely check that out if you're interested learning how Ruby gets compiled and works kind of under the hood. Very, it was really fun to watch. Uh, Valentino, apparently, technically, uh, Ruby Central and Ruby together haven't merged. Uh, they've actually rebased. <laughs> so, so who was, who, what was the mainline branch? And like, which one rebased on the other? I don't know enough. Well, they kept the, That's my only Git joke. You're, you're, I, I, I don't know have, anymore, Git. <laughs> is, is, the, is the little Rubies, was that Ruby Together's logo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think they kept Ruby. Uh, yeah, I think they have Ruby Together's logo. So, so clearly, all right. So we're rebased on Ruby Together then. Anyway, I tried too hard for that. So for this week, I've got I've got uh, at least one pick. So I have been trying to decide what to do with my almost ten year old uh, computer that I have or whatever. Especially since like purchasing anything that has a chip in it nowadays is going to cost you an entire fortune. And it might come and might be broken and once you finally get it anyway, because you'll have to get it from some random person off of eBay or some Amazon seller that has, you know, less than four stars or something. So it's a rough time if you suddenly realize that your computer isn't quite hacking it and you're like, oh, I should fix that. And then the prices are just exorbitant. But you can get you can get a pre-built computer. I don't necessarily know that I recommend all pre-built vendors. So, um, but I also don't. I didn't want to spend this time being like, well, these are good ones and these are bad ones. Um, I ended up going with Digital Storm. That's who I picked. I can at least say that they're okay. I uh, checked with I checked with like a number of forums or whatever that I frequented over the years to try and get like people's opinions and collate who is not going to be awesome and who is going to be good. It did cost me an arm and a leg. I'm spending more on this computer than I spent on my last one. And my last one was like a high-end computer, and this one's a mid-range computer. So if that tells you that prices kind of stink now, they, they do. That's what it is. So yeah, anyway, but but still, if you are at the point where you're like, well, I need a new computer, check out pre-built computers. It might help you out. Um, also, there are literally people out there that are buying pre-built computers just to take the hard, uh, the uh the hardware out of it, like the CPUs and the uh, the video cards, just so that they can start mining. <laughs> so, you know, you know that times are dire when people are overpaying for this stuff, like they are right now. I guess technically they're not overpaying because that's just what demand is. But what else? Anyway, so it's a good thing to have a lot of old computers on your in your basement. Or... I have spare computers, <laughs> but they like in the past ten years, like 
people I'm struggling with 16 gigs of RAM now. It's kind of a problem. I mean, I can I can make it, but Chrome uses up 16 gigs of RAM on its own without even asking. So it's just the way so it is. True. So true. It's just hard. Yeah. Without active records. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you know, if you're that's what it is. The other thing that I would say is I I'm going to half pick this and kind of cheat but like i'm actually kind of excited to try out active record ct i was excited for this uh for this particular episode because i was like oh my gosh that's the thing i do all the time and it looks better than what i use so for my next app i will be trying it out so it's a half pick it's not really full because i can't i can't completely endorse something if i haven't ever used it before so anyway that's for me vlado did you have anything for us Yes, my first pick is a book from Jeremy Evans, Polished Ruby Programming, uh, which I read like a month ago or something like that. And uh, I was really eager to, to read it because, uh, yeah, looking at the sequel and Rhoda, and, and I was just surprised how this guy can handle, write all this code and handle all these uh, issues so quickly and respond to everything. And it was a... Uh, it, I think it's a great read. I like the part where he explains the extensibility because I like that SQL and Rhoda has a small core with the plugins and in general, pretty good read. I think it has some marketing about his own gems, but I really think they are, they are good. And the other pick is the online course for woodworking called the Wood Whisper Guild, which is basically a platform where you buy planes uh, with videos and detailed explanation for building fine furniture. So you pick the, I don't know, chair or whatever you would like to build from, from the list and you get uh, very, very detailed videos and planes to, to build them. I think if you are interested in woodworking and want to step up a bit, that's a great resource. Awesome. All right. Well, a lot of people want to like follow you or you know, hear more about you, find out what you're doing, what, uh, where should they go? Well, I suggest uh, to go to github, uh, slash github.com slash Vlado, which is my GitHub profile. And, uh, yeah, I don't use Twitter or other social networks that, that much. So I suppose I was not affected by Facebook going down. I didn't notice it. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, for the rest of us, it was a huge improvement. <laughs> I have an account. I, uh, I do not log on very often. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. And we'll uh, see you next time. Take care. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.